If you would turn into the Word of God to 1 Corinthians 15, that is where we are studying this day. Our context is verses 50 through 58. We will land this morning on the great triumph, verses 54 through 56. We will have a word of prayer, and then we will read this text, and we'll try to bring it all together and put it in a nice package. What do you think? Good idea? Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, you who spoke existence into being, we are overwhelmed by your presence, overwhelmed by your majesty, overwhelmed by your grace and your glory. Father, as I look upon the snow that blankets everything and the newness of white, Father, I know that every snowflake is a gift from you. Father, these precious people who are here this day are a gift from you, and you have given us the most precious gift of all your word. Father, we still in your people a hunger and thirst for you through your holy book. And Father, we would bow. Children of the King of kings and Lord of lords, Father, help us this day to worship in spirit and in truth. And Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, as you mold our hearts, and to our Lord and our Savior, in Christ's name, amen. First Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 50 through the end of the chapter. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality then will come about the saying that it is written death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in the vain in the Lord. This is good stuff here, people. <laughs> Let me give you 15 in a package, and then I'll show you what he's doing in verse 50 through 58. This is what you call the praise of victory. Okay, and you see the evidence of a bodily resurrection in chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. You see the importance of a bodily resurrection in verses 12 through 19. You see the plan of resurrection in 20 through 28. You see a motive for resurrection in 29 through 34. You actually see the body of resurrection. What is it in 35 through 49? And now Paul breaks forth in praise. Easiest chapter in the Bible. <laughs> okay, we praise. This is the one thing that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what you're having to go through, should just lift you up to praise God regardless of what's going on. 
Um, my cars all break down. I know yours does too, but mine always do it when it's cold. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. Last two Saturdays, I've had to work on my cars, and the reason is, last two Saturdays have been cold. I don't think there's anything wrong with the cars. I just, yeah, you go out there and get up and work on them things. Okay? And, and when you're out there dealing with that, it's a little bit on the frustrating side. But the other part of it says, you know what? Hallelujah. At least I'm smart enough that I can do this, and I'm not going to pay some mechanic a bazillion dollars in my first male born to fix my car. Maybe. All right? But we, we look at stuff like that, and you think how this is, you know, listen, there was football games on, there was bowl games on, there's the AFC champion, or playing for the playoffs and all this other stuff, and I have to work on cars. Okay? And what was that? All right, but, but I share that with you because there's times we can let stuff bug us, huh? But then if you think about it, you're only going to be resurrected. What's the problem? That's all. You will be perishable now, corrupt now, and you'll be incorruptible, imperishable. You'll be as Christ is. You will have a body that will only be fit for living in heaven. That's all. What a drag. But we looked at this last week and he shows us in 50 and 53 this great transformation. He says, I tell you a mystery. Not all will sleep. If you look at the church in Thessalonica, they were wondering what happened to a Christian when they die. We're waiting on the resurrection, the second coming. And these people died. Here in Corinth, they're doing the reverse. What about me? I'm still here. And these people died and they're in the presence of the Lord. How about me? He says, don't worry about it. It'll be in the twinkling of an eye. Okay, a sixth of a nanosecond. You don't have to get the tape if you want to know what that is. Because everybody's still saying, why'd you tell us that? (laughs) But it's a twinkling of an eye. And then he will come and the dead in Christ will rise first. And great theologians tell us because they're six foot under, they need a head start. And then we catch them. You know, that's silly, but hey, whatever. In the twinkling of an eye, is it irrelevant about how quick I get my resurrected body? So there was this transformation. And then if you watch his thinking, you'll see my outline. Why? Because there's this great transformation. Mortal becomes immortal. I was so afraid I was going to say immoral. <laughs> I read that three times in my office. I said, I'm going to say that immorality here. And anyway, um, we are going to be, we are mortal now. We will become immortal. We are perishable now. We will be imperishable. We are corruptible now. We will be incorruptible. We are weak and frail now. We will be powerful. Immovable. That is that transformation. And with that transformation, then he leads us to the great triumph. Verse 54. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal have put on immortality, then will come the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Basically, so when I receive... The resurrected body. When we who are called by his name receive the imperishable bodies, death is swallowed up. When this great transformation takes part, then will this saying be said. Okay, the saying that you see there 
death is swallowed up in victory is a quote from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 25 verse 8. So it's originally written in the Hebrew and we need to pay attention to this. Okay. Paul always, I love Paul about this. He always uses scripture to confirm his word. He always uses scripture to show his message. When the transformation comes, then the triumph will be proclaimed. Death is swallowed up. Forever is the original Hebrew text. Death is swallowed up forever. It is swallowed. It's total destruction. It's total end. It's consumed. It's done. Listen, you don't have to be a great theologian right now to understand death is not yet swallowed up. Okay? When this perishable becomes imperishable, when this mortal is immortal, then we will shout with Isaiah, death is swallowed up. But not until then. Okay? Death is still an enemy. You know that. Okay, Uh, we believers may not fear death. I'm not afraid of death. When I was laying underneath the car the other day, I was kind of wanting it. (laughs) It, It's got to be warmer. (laughs) But anyway, but there's still a sense that death violates us. It still invades our lives. It comes into our domain. It breaks longing and loving relationships. You know what? I still see death removing those that I feel are greatly needed. I have in the last few years have to lay to rest several tremendous prayer warriors. And I believe that those are the greatest need in the body of Christ. And, and, and I'll be honest with you. There's a few times that I've kind of gotten a little cranky with God. And said, we can't keep giving up these prayer warriors. There are those that I have seen serve God's purpose in his or her generation. I've seen it in babies. I've seen it in aged. And yet I still see death grabbing the souls and drawing many to hell for eternal damnation. Death is still an enemy. Even though... Christians have no fear of it. And if you're really honest with yourself, isn't death a reward for us? It is the conclusion of the race. I'm done. Thank you. In some cases, he says, look, up there is the finish line. In some cases, it's there's the finish line. And yet, if it's a Christian, it's still a reward. Yet death still invades us. Death still has a blow to it. But there's coming a time when the Isaiah 25 verse 8 text will come as a great shout that we can look and say death has been swallowed up. When we receive resurrected bodies. Swallowed up. Swallowed up forever. Now I want to give you the Hebrew word here for swallowed up because it is... It is It is more than what you think it is. When you think of swallow up, you think of taking a banana and you eat it and you swallow it. Okay? That is not the term here. 
Let me tell you what Linsky wrote. Okay? Death is not, quote, death is not merely destroyed so that it cannot do further harm while all the harm which it has wrought on God's children remains. The tornado is not merely checked so that no additional homes are wrecked while those that were wrecked still lie in ruin. The destruction of death is far more intense. Death and all of its apparent victories are Undone for God's children. What looks like a victory for death and like defeat for us when our bodies die and decay shall be utterly reversed so death lies in absolute defeat and our bodies live again in absolute victory. You got that? All the heartache, all the suffering, all the pain, all the sorrow, gone and undone. That's what he means when he says, swallowed up. It's history. It's gone. Death is not just defeated from doing any more harm. Everything that has been ever done is undone. All the sorrow, all the separation, all the pain, it's gone, undone. Death is swallowed up and it will only be forever. The incredible wonder of this triumph should just blow your proverbial socks off. I have had to bury very dear friends, some eternally separated from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I've had to bury some that I thought, I don't want to let go. I love this person. Why would you take this great stalwart of the faith? And God says, the time is up. I bought and paid for with a price. And it carries a heartache. You carry the scar. And yet when it is swallowed up, it's all gone. It's all undone. This understanding causes the Apostle Paul, and perhaps you at times, an incredible wonder of this triumph. He moves into chapter, or in verse, into verse 55, and you know what he does? He begins to taunt death. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He taunts it. Why? He is so confident, so overwhelmed in the transformation that lies before him that will is guaranteed to every child of God. He's like, what's your big deal? He quotes Isaiah 13, 14, and it's kind of a paraphrase of it, where he, he says there, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The word sting here is an interesting word. I want you to think about this. Um, I, I grew up back east um, in, 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 a, in an agricultural area. And every time I went out to the barn, I got stung. Okay, it was just, it was a gift. Okay, but we had, um, now I've never been stung by a wasp. Uh, we had yellow jackets, okay, and we had bumblebees. You know the bumblebees? The Okay, and we had honeybees. And you know what? I remember the first time I got stung by a honeybee. You got this big old hunk of stinger stuck out of you, and it's hanging there, and your thumb starts swelling up to about the size of a fruit. 
And my grandma looked at it and said, well, don't worry about it. The bee died. And I was like, so? <laughs> Look at my thumb. And she says, well, whenever they sting, the stinger pulls out and it kills them. And I sit there and said, well, how pleasant is that? You know that if you have a bumblebee, they don't do that. They just sting and sting and sting unless you kill them. I learned that the hard way. But anyway, um, you know, I, just just for your information, you go back. Just remember, their stingers do not come out of their butts. And they will afflict you until you afflict them. Just that information and four bucks to get you a Starbucks coffee. Okay. But the term that he uses here, kintron, sting. Okay. And it's an interesting term because it speaks of poison. It is used of the poison of a snake. It is used of the poison of a bee, a bee sting. Okay, so when you think about being stung by a bee and you have that wonderful swelling factor, what causes that is poison. So when you read Hosea or you read this text, it says, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Or where is your poison? Okay? After that day, that day that the, that the perishable puts on the imperishable, death has no sting. Death has no poison. I mean, technically, if you wanted to use the honeybee illustration, um, uh, the stinger has been removed. It doesn't affect me. For the Christian, in the truest sense, when Death plunged its stinger into Christ. It left its stinger there and died. Christ bore the whole sting of death for us. So that death has no sting. Death has no poison. Now listen, death is still an enemy. And let's be realistic, okay? Death makes us dodge a little, doesn't it? You just sort of want to duck, right? I mean, don't. I, maybe you guys don't. I, you know, there's certain things, you know. I, I'm not going to go out and look for death. But you know what? It may make me dodge. It may make me duck. But do you know it cannot poison me? It cannot sting us ever again. Poison left its singer in Christ. Death in the conclusion is done. Have no fear. Have no fear. But here's what I like about my buddy Paul. When Paul gets into this praising, you need to understand something about the Apostle Paul. And, and, and perhaps you, I, I spend way too much time with him, maybe. Because Paul goes on to interpret what he's saying. All right? Um, listen, Paul is basically an interpreter of Scripture. And if you sit around and talk to me very long, that's all I do. That's all I do. Um, and you know what? I, I follow Paul sometimes to a fault because I can't get very far into praising without a little interpretation. 
That's just the way I am. Verse 56. The sting of death is sin. The poison of death is what? Sin. Sin. Okay? It's strength. Poison strength is what? The law. What he's saying here. It's not death that harms. Did you know that? It's not death that harms. That's why a Christian can say, death is my reward. It doesn't harm me. Okay? It invades our world. We dodge it and duck occasionally. And we have sometimes to recover from it. But as doesn't really harm us unless there is sin. Okay? The sting, the poison of death is what? Sin. What the heck is he telling me here? What does this mean? Wherever there is sin, death can give a fatal blow. Okay? But, wherever sin has been paid for in full, and there is forgiveness, and sin has been removed, then death no longer has a sting. Do you get that? You've got to understand it. This is basic foundational theology. Wherever sin has been paid, then there is a forgiveness and sin is removed. The penalty is gone. It's been nailed to the cross. And you know what? Every one of us should jump up and say, wow, the poison's gone. It doesn't sting. We can say on behalf of a believer, there is no sting in death. Because the sting of death is what? Sin. And sin in the case of a Christian has been removed. If you go to a funeral, any funeral, and you can see saved or not, and you will see the truth of whether that poison has been removed. I have been to the funeral of unbelievers, and you can look around and see the pain and the horror and the harm that sin has done. And there is a pain there that you cannot fixed. It is done. You can go to the death of a believer and you will see heartache, but we do not grieve of those who do not have hope. Why? Because the poison of death, the sting of death is gone. It's gone. I buried my, I I would call him my best friend. He was the best man in my wedding. Uh, I've known him longer than I've known my wife. We spent many, many years together. And um, he prepared to die, and I knew he was dying. He knew he was dying. His bride knew he was dying. And I coveted him. (laughs) Why are you getting out of this mess for me? Leave me here. Listen, you know what? When I think about being forgiven... All death can do now is just buzz around and annoy me. 
now that may sound silly, but the truth of the matter is, it cannot harm me. It does annoy me. But you know what? It can't sting me. It cannot poison me. The sting is sin. And if you are a Christian, then you know that Jesus has borne all of your sin and there is no sting. There's no poison. There's no pain. He forgave it all. When he hung on the cross and said, tell, tell us die. It is finished. You know what that means? It's not in the process of being finished. It is finished. It is done. It is fulfilled. You have no worries anymore. He forgave it all. And if Christ who has... Con- Listen, if Christ has sealed me, who can condemn me that God has justified? Romans tells me. I mean, you can throw every accusation you want at me, but it is God who justifies. You can't hurt me. There is no condemnation, do you get me? No condemnation for those who are in Christ, Jesus, Romans 8 says. 1 John chapter 2, 12 says, Your sin is as far as the east is from the west. That is a fascinating statement when you think about it. How far is the east from the west? I don't know, but if you drive east as far as you can, you'll never get west. (laughs) He has forgiven it all. There is no sin. Okay? So for the believer, there's no sin, then there's no sting, there's no poison. Death has nothing. Now listen, I want to get real clear here. It doesn't mean that you can't sin as a Christian. All right? Let's keep that one right there because, you know, it's gone as far as east is from the west. Let me ask you a question. Have you put on immortality yet? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Now that we got that squared away, don't think you can't sin. But understand this. It is forgiven. Which one? The one you ain't even done yet. There's sin that you haven't even thought of yet you're going to do. And it's still forgiven. We're already covered. Already forgiven. Already paid for. That's why he, Hebrew says that he is at the right hand of the Father doing what? Making intercession on your behalf. Why? We need work. <laughs> We do. Every time you sin, you know, when the guy cuts you off in traffic and you have that wonderful thought that goes to your head, like, blessed this little brother. <laughs> we always, you've done that, right? Or they pull into that parking lot in the mall at Christmas time when you're trying to do all your shopping in the last eight hours, like me. <laughs> That'll test your spiritual maturity. <laughs> Let me tell you. Okay? And you say, Father, forgive them. I'm about to kill them. <laughs> See, death has already killed once. He has killed, it has killed for our sin. Killed Christ. You know, when, when I think about Elizabeth's baptism, it says, I have been baptized into his death. I identify with his death. You ain't died. 
But you identify with his death. Why? So I can come back up out of the water and walk in the newness of life that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, but I got news for you. Before this day is over, you will sin. But it doesn't mean that that water still wasn't cold. <laughs> Perhaps when she stepped in it, she might have sinned. What was he thinking? <laughs> Better than Plum Creek. But anyway, do you see what I'm trying to get at? The penalty is paid. Now listen, that doesn't give you license. It doesn't mean, well, I'm just going to go sin. Why? I'm forgiven. No, because then you're probably not. Your sin will bother you. If it doesn't bother you, it'll bother me. No. Uh, but your sin, if your sin don't bother you, you have a bigger problem than what you think. Because if your sin doesn't bother you, then you have just cheapened the cross. And I'll let you explain that to him when you see him. Okay? Because look what he says here next. The sting of death is... Sin, all right? So the pain and the poison of death is what? Sin, all right? But look what he says then. The power or the strength of sin is what? The law, the law. Listen, what is it that makes us sinners, or what makes us sinners is that God has set down certain principles, Okay, listen, God didn't create and say, you know what? I don't really care what you all do. Uh, You can just do whatever you want. There's no rules at all. Just have at it. Have a nice time. No rules. Because see, if he did that, guess what? There's no sin. Okay, but God said, this is right and this is wrong. God set the standards. Okay? Have you ever heard this term? You can't legislate morality. You're right, I can't. God has. Okay? Well, you don't understand with the the homosexual marriage and all of this other stuff. Let me ask you a simple question. Is murder immoral? You know what's amazing about murder? I don't care where you're at. It's immoral. And I don't care what planet you're on. It's immoral. And God doesn't have to sit down and say, well, I know these guys over here don't have the Ten Commandments. No, man. It is immoral. We know it. Okay? God set a standard. And when God set the standard, guess what? That makes sin a reality. Let's be realistic. Turn on the news channel, any news channel, and tell me that sin don't exist. I mean, you can even turn the volume off and say, sin still exists. Look. But I watch people and they say, well, hey, wait, dude. You say God set the standard, but you know what? I never read the Bible. I never heard the Bible. No worries. Oh, really? Read Romans 2. Okay. Because it says God planted it in your conscience. The law of God is written in your heart. I don't care who you are. The saints and the ain'ts all have the law of God there. God deposited his law in the heart of men as well as in the word of God. And he's laid down rules. And it's against those rules that sin is manifest. And once sin is manifest, 
then the sting is given to death. Okay? Uh, To eliminate that sting, to eliminate that poison, you have to have the sin taken care of. And that is what Christ died for. Jesus died in order to take for us the sting of death. If we put our faith in Him, He has taken it for us. And death has no sting, no poison. I see people who come face to face with death and have, quote unquote, been in church or been religious or whatever. And when death gets them right here and looks at them, they have pain and they have fear. And I look at them and say, you have no faith in Christ Jesus. Because with faith in Christ Jesus, death has no power. Because the power of sin is the law. And the law is given, Paul tells the Galatians, to condemn us. God says, let me set the standard out. You know, I remember I got deal with Columbine when Columbine shooting took place. And right after that, they concluded that we'll go put the Ten Commandments back into schools. And that'll fix what? How does that fix it? Well, it gives us a standard. Well, what are you going to do with the first one? Okay. You shall have no other gods before me. What are you going to do with that one? You know that one there will condemn you? That one there will condemn you quicker and as quick as any other sin you commit. So how do you do that in school? Even though we break the law of God as a Christian, the penalty is paid. It's paid. So the strength of sin is the law. The sin becomes the sting of death. And if without the payment of the law. Oh, yeah. Did you hear what I just said? Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill it. I'm going to fulfill it. And he did. Christ has fulfilled the whole law. Christ paid the price for sin. Death sting has been removed in the case of believers. That's Romans 5. Where there is no law, sin is not imputed to us. That's Romans 6. Here's the problem. Romans 2 tells me that the law has been what? Placed in my heart. So you can run, but you can't hide. And then you got the Romans 7 text. Everybody wrestles with it. I don't do the things that I want to do, and I don't do the old wretched man that I am. Well, yeah. When sin came in, guess what? I saw the law. The law convicted me, and there I died. And when I died, I became fearful, and the poison of the death was laid all over me, and I swelled up like a... No, that's, that's my thumb. Never mind. Sorry. Wrong illustration. Do you see that? See, Paul says, I knew the problem, but I didn't know it until the law came. Okay, that's, that's one of the tragedies about alcohol and drugs, is that alcohol and drugs change the conscience. Okay, the, the, the conscience is the warning light that your engine needs to be serviced. 
It is. Okay? And drugs and alcohol um, set conscience out. Okay? And all of a sudden you do the things you would never do because your conscience convicted you. Okay? That's in the lost and the saved. The law of God is the standard that reveals sin. And sin is the thing that gives death its sting. By the way, a little footnote. The smallest sin. And I know that every one of us in this room have degrees of sin. Whether we like to admit it or not, we have, well, you know, it was just a white lie. It's just a little one. Okay, the smallest sin gives sting to death. You don't have you don't have to be a big sinner to need forgiveness. You don't have to be a criminal uh, to have an unaccounted for unrepentant. The smallest in our life of an unbeliever is enough to cause a fatal blow from death. But guess what? Sin's been swallowed up forever in the person of Jesus Christ. So when you see this, you have this great transformation that you should long for. We should be overwhelmed with because there is this great triumph that's that death has been swallowed up. Its poison, its power is no longer relevant. (laughs) The great triumph over death, we have a forgiveness over sin and we have grace over the law, which leads to the great thanksgiving in verse 57 next Sunday. Father, I thank you for your word. I praise you for the amazing things that you do. Lord, I praise you for your word. I praise you for your spirit and your people. I praise you for the church here in a lost and hostile, depraved land. You have put forth your light through the body of believers, the manifestation of the body of Christ. Father, help us. Help us to rest in the assurance our sin is forgiven. Help us to know that Jesus Christ paid it in full. Father, help us be overwhelmed with this privilege, with this mercy, with this grace that you have poured and poured out upon us in ways that we, we don't understand. Father, help us to walk in the love that Christ loved us. Help us to see with the eyes Christ sees us. Help us to hear with the ears Christ listened to you when he was here. Father, help us be overwhelmed with the privilege of being children of you who spoke existence into being. To your glory, to your praise, in Christ's name, amen.